Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, this today is a message that I have absolutely dreaded for the last two months. Why? Open up to Mark chapter 10, verse 1, and let's read our passage for this morning. Are you ready? Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is coming from the Galilee region. He heads south, and this is what happens. Getting up, he, being Jesus, went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And he answered and he said to them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother... And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man... She is committing adultery. Yay. <laughs> I was the first one at church this morning. I needed to pray a lot. As I got out of my car, I was in the front small lot over there on Tustin Avenue. As I got out of my car, there was a couple walking down Tustin Avenue. And I've been here for 20 years. This is the first time this has ever happened. The woman yells out to me, do you work here? <laughs> yeah. Are you a pastor? Oh. I'd love to be the janitor today. Yeah, I'm a pastor. She said, this marriage needs some help. They were on the phone, on speakerphone with her maid of honor trying to work some stuff out. Went back and forth a little bit and they said, we need prayer. And so right there on Tustin Avenue this morning, about three hours ago, I stood and got to pray with this couple. I said, guess what? I'm preaching today at 9.30. Uh, we're talking about divorce. Let's not go there. Why don't you guys come? And they said, we live right across the street. So I'm kind of scanning the audience, hoping that you're here. And if you are, praise God, I'm looking forward to this. Today, I want you to hear because when we say the word divorce, pay attention right now. How are you feeling? Do you want to kind of slouch down in your chair? Are you feeling uncomfortable? And that might be because you have gone through divorce. You might be right now in the midst of a divorce. You might be the child of a divorce. You might be right in the middle of all of your friends and relationships and people in your life 
whose marriages are falling apart. You might be here this morning. And as we sang this last song, Jesus Christ, my living hope, you are here today as an act of desperation, hoping that maybe something is going to stick and it's all going to come together. And that's our hope. But we have to face this. And what I love about the couple that stopped me on Tustin Avenue this morning is there's just a level of honesty there that we need to say this marriage needs help. We need help. We need a community. We need people around us. And so it's with that heart that we want to enter in. There's no shame here today because Jesus came to remove all of that. So we need to jump into this. We need to understand what these passages say because what happens is we have trouble reconciling the grace of God with some of what feels like the harshness of, of Scripture, of what's in the Bible. And so when we have some of this tension that takes place, we kind of take some of these topics and we just kind of throw it into the cold freezer. And what I want to do this morning is I want to bring it back out. And with a level of honesty, we need to be able to talk about some of this. So that as we go on in living our lives, that we are able to do this in such a way that we are honoring Jesus in how we live. And sometimes the right answer is not going to be the easiest one. In fact, most of the time, it's the ones that kind of give us a lot of angst and that tension that, man, that might be the place that, that God is leading me. And so today, um, wherever you're at, that you would just hold an open heart this morning that God might work. That's our audience. It's all of us. We dive into that today. In 1973, it was the first time in the United States that there were more marriages that ended by divorce than there were by death. And it's interesting because I've married a lot of people. We go through this and every time we go through premarital and a lot of my job with uh, at Calvary, I talk to families and parents who want to dedicate their kids or people who want to have babies and can't. And then we have like parents of teenagers that are like, what do I do with them? This is so hard. And then we talk to people who want to get married and we go through premarital. And then on the other part of my job, I get to talk to people who don't want to be married. But there's that moment. You know that moment when you first enter in are ready to fly. We are ready to take off. This is all. This is great. It's like, it's like a bird that's leaving the nest for the very first time. Check this out. This is a 400-foot cliff. That's a baby gosling getting ready for its first jump. Launch. Now, if you're a physics teacher, this doesn't and feel like it's going to be possible, right? This is as good a descent as it's possible to make.
Slow motion adds a lot to it, right? Its parents are there to meet it. A little dazed, perhaps, but all in one piece. God bless the BBC announcer. A little dazed, perhaps. That poor baby goose is like, what just happened to me, right? Parents pick it back up. It's time to do this again. Here we go. It's a wonder that they ever fly to begin with. But I, I, I did show this in a Calvary Christian school chapel, and the kindergarten teacher was looking at me saying, what have you done? This is not a... I don't even remember why I showed it. We were not talking about divorce with kindergartners, I promise. But that's the feeling, right? Like, we're soaring. This is great. We're going to fly. And then without warning, you just come crashing against the cliffs. And you come out of it sometimes a little dazed, perhaps. And sometimes what you end up with at the bottom of the cliff, you hit rock bottom and your marriage is no longer. Let's get into the text. What is Jesus up to? And my hope is that we understand today that God's intention, God's ideal for marriage is a lifelong commitment. This is his heart. Now, from the very beginning, man, as we hide from sin, we're always looking for loopholes. What's the escape clause? If this is what's written, then how can I maybe work my way through and find a loophole? And so this is what's going on. We need to understand contextually what's happening. And now Jesus is in this place. It says, Judea, beyond the Jordan. It's an area known as Perea. This is what I call the storm before the storm. He's left Galilee. He's made his way south. And the next step is he's going to be going into Jerusalem. But he spends about six months doing ministry in this Perean area. This is his Perean ministry. He talks about it in Luke and John a little bit. But Mark gives us this little snapshot. And where this is, here's Perea. It's down here off to the east just a little bit. Um, this is the Dead Sea in this area right here. And this is important. What, what's going on here? They go to this area and in verse 2 it says there were some Pharisees. The Pharisees came up to Jesus and it says testing him. They are trying to trap him. And they began to question him. Is it lawful for a man to divorce a wife? Now... The region is important. Location is always so important when we're looking at Scripture. The background of this place, this is the place, if you remember a few months ago, Eric spoke from Mark chapter 6. And we have this crazy story. But Herod Antipas, the guy who's king of Judea at this time, he took his brother's wife. He divorced his own wife. He took his brother's wife as his own. So he marries his sister-in-law, who also happens to be his niece. It's a little weird brings her in, and John the Baptist is kind of outspoken about this, so much so that as he's talking about divorce and everything that's going on here with Herod, John literally loses his head over this issue. And so the Pharisees say, Jesus is in this same region. If we could get him to say some of the same things that John the Baptist said, we can trap him and we can get rid of this problem named Jesus. And so this is the background. This is the location. This is why they are asking this question. And so they're questioning, is it lawful? 
is there a reason that we can do this? And so Jesus says, what does Moses have to say about divorce? And so we go back to the Torah and, and they're giving this law. This is the command. Moses says he permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. The question actually comes, um, and this, this parallel passage also takes place with a little bit more detail in Matthew chapter 19. But Matthew 19, it says they were testing him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce, to divorce his wife for any reason at all? We need to understand that at the time of Jesus, there is this raging debate that's taking place. What are the grounds for a divorce? So they're going back to Moses and what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And this is what it says. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. Your version might say something of indecency, something. If he finds some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and he sends her out from the house. There's these two schools of thought at the time of Jesus. You have two rabbis. You have a... his wife for adultery or sexual immorality. But then there's this super liberal other following. And this was the predominant thought. And they're asking Jesus, which rabbi, which school, which house are you aligning yourself with? And this other one, it, they basically split these Hebrew words. If I go back, um, this, this, this word, some indecency, it's erva devar. And so they actually divide this up. This is Hillel, and he, he basically says something and indecency, those are two separate things. So we have the indecency, which is nakedness, and something. And so we're going to leave this a little bit up to interpretation. It's a little bit foggy in the Hebrew. And so we're going to come up with, we can divorce, we can send away or put aside our wife for anything, a trivial offense such as, burning the toast. It literally says that as the rabbis had been talking about this. For burning a meal, letting her hair down, for speaking to a man, for her appearance. If your wife was infertile, it was mandatory that you would put her away, according to the rabbis. Making a negative comment about your mother. <laughs> you want to sit with that for a while? No, let's just move on. Or just simply finding someone else you prefer. Jesus says it's because of the hardening of your hearts that Moses had to say this. And what we see is we see this culture. Now, it's addressing the men because women had no rights. This is a very sexist culture at this time, right? The men, if they found anything indecent, they could just send their wife away. It wasn't even a divorce. They could just put her aside and find another wife. Well, what happens to that woman is she's already been traded from her family of birth into his family. The bride price has been paid, and so she has nowhere to go. And so women during that time were left to begging or prostitution. They had to do something to be able to take care of themselves in this culture. And so what Moses said was, because of the hardness of the hearts of men, you actually have to write a certificate of divorce. And what that does is it's rescuing these women who have been abandoned. It has 
freed them so that they are no longer bound to those marriage vows that they had before. And now they are free to remarry and they can survive. Jesus says, that's because of the hardness of your heart that we had to make this, this idea here. But what, is, what does God say? And well, Jesus, as he's talking about this, he says, but from the very beginning of creation, from the very beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. See, the original ideal for marriage, when, when Jesus is asking them, what did Moses command you? He wasn't talking about Deuteronomy. He said, no, no, no. Let's go back to Genesis. Moses wrote that also. God's intention from the very beginning is that the man and the woman would come together and they would be married and it would be a lifelong commitment. And our posture, what we see, God's posture towards divorce in scripture is that there is a persistent divine opposition to divorce. You see this in Malachi. Even in Malachi, they are putting their wives aside. They are getting rid of them because essentially they are property. And Jesus is restoring and elevating and giving rights to the women of his time. But there's always this tone and this persistent opposition. God is against it. And, and there's this idea of, and the rabbis, they argue about this a lot. They talk about commands and concessions. Commands. These are the things that God wants you to be following. These are the things that God intends for us to be living out in our life. But it's because of our hardness of heart that God had to make concessions. Because sin is in the world. Because we can't help but sin that God has made these concessions. Because we fall short over and over again of following what he's actually commanded us. And so that's the conversation that takes place with the crowd. And then in verse 10, they move into the house. This is the epilogue. And the disciples are always trying to catch up. In the house, his disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, then she is committing adultery. Jesus is upping the ante here. In Matthew 19, he actually says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality. Uh, the Greek is porneia. There are phenomenal scholars and theologians that have studied the heck out of this and have come to differing conclusions. And I want to walk you through a couple of these things because we have to figure out and we have to know what it is that we believe and what's happening here contextually. You all know people who have gone through a divorce and have been remarried. And so this idea of porneia, here's, here's three different views. View number one is that scripture allows for divorce and remarriage. Now I've put in there some theologians, hopefully names that you recognize. And I'd say a lot of them fall onto, on the conservative map as far as theology goes. Um, but they believe that porneia is any, um, any concept of sexual immorality. That there could be adultery, there's affairs. And because of these things that God has allowed and made allowance for this and Jesus addresses this. Now, 
Paul also talks through some of this. You can look in 1 Corinthians 7. In fact, on the back of your outline, I list out a whole bunch of biblical references and places that you can go for further study because obviously we don't... And it's interesting to see these names associated, but we have no divorce, no remarriage, no matter what. And I don't want to criticize because I believe that the the theologians that believe in these things, they hold a very high view of marriage. I believe that they love marriage and they say we want to work this out no matter what and for no reason should we ever, ever divorce We should never get remarried. I think also one thing that we need to pay attention to is that in the church, we don't hold a high enough view of singleness. Um, As you have gone through some of your dating life, and I want to talk to some of our college and young adults, like the question is, well, you've been dating somebody for a while. Are you getting married? Um, Sometimes those of you who have gone through a divorce, the question is, well, are you going to get back in the saddle again? Um, Jesus himself was single, right? So we have to be able to look at some of these scriptures and say, look, in fact, the disciples, if you go to Matthew chapter 19, as Jesus is saying all of this, they say, I don't want to misquote it. They say this amazing. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's just better not to marry. Like, who could possibly do this? On Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, I'll be speaking in Fellowship Hall. And we're going to talk about the idea of loneliness. That some of you are single and totally fulfilled and everything's great. Awesome, praise God. Some of you are single and totally miserable. But some of you are also married and everything's totally great. And in some of you, you are married and totally miserable. You're totally lonely in your marriage. And the disciples, after they hear Jesus talking about all of this, they're all, well, who could get married? And then Jesus goes on for the next couple of verses and says, well, some have received the gift of being a eunuch. And the disciples are, oh, didn't mean that far. Now, for us, As we examine and as we look, I I want us to hear, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Um, We have a high need for repentance and a high need for deliverance. Um, I know that there are some of you in here that you have gone through a divorce, um, that you've gone through a remarriage. In fact, Um, Your divorce could have been for all of the wrong reasons. It could have been a sinful divorce. Um, Divorce, no matter what, is a tragedy. Um, Oftentimes, it's sin that has led to that tragedy. But it's not the unpardonable sin. You can be forgiven. And so there's a stigma that gets carried. And some of us, we carry it with us. Some of that is is us looking at others in judgment. But for those of you who've been divorced, you carry that around and you feel isolated. You feel like you're the only one in the room or that everybody else is looking at you with a bad, bad vibe. And I want to just point you to the words from Jeremiah. 
God is, and there's constantly this picture in scripture that God is the, the groom and he's calling after us. The church is his bride. And he's calling out Israel in Jeremiah 3. And he says, have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill under every green tree and she was the harlot there. Israel goes after all of these other gods and forgets the one true God. And what God does, he says, return. Faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you've transgressed against the Lord your God. And I'll take it back. I will not be angry forever. We find ourselves a lot of times between a rock and a hard place. Um, I did some research with this, and this idea of the rock and the hard place comes from Homer's Odyssey. And it talks about this, this time where Odysseus has to go from one island to the next by sea. And he only has these two choices. As he goes through this strait, that he has these issues, these hurdles that he has to get through. Either he has to go, there's these two things. One is Scylla and the other is Charybdis. Scylla is a six-headed monster. And Charybdis is this whirlpool. And the choices are, if you're going to go through the six-headed monster, any ship that has ever passed through has, has taken the lives of no less than six men. And there's only been one boat historically that ever got through the whirlpool. And so Odysseus has this crazy, like, what am I going to do? He's stuck between this rock and a hard place. And as we look at some of our own marriages and some of these situations, sometimes you feel like you are between a rock and a hard place. And what we do in the church is sometimes we confuse stringency with holiness. That you just have to stick it out. You have to continue to take on all of the adultery, the affairs, the abuse, the addiction, the abandonment. You just keep taking it on because that is the holy road. Now, I've talked to some people who are struggling in their marriages and they know that there's, there's all kinds of reasons and things that, that would force them to just leave. And some I've talked to, they say, well, they go for the Hosea option. They know that I am going to love this person and I'm going to suffer through it. And God has given me love for them, though they hurt me. Though this brings on pain. Though they continue to sin against me, I will be faithful and I will love them. And if you are able to do that, then God bless you and continue to go for that. But I think sometimes we say this to people and it's like, well, God, God says that you have to continue to be in these situations that are going to bring out this abuse and they're going to bring out. And I, I believe that God is, is speaking to us. I, the, the other way that we can go is that we sometimes can look at people and we can confuse permissiveness with grace. Some people say, well, I know it's the wrong thing to do. God's original intent. Some of us 
we have to approach and look into our marriage and we have to be able to go with the spirit of repentance. Going before God and saying, God, I've messed up. Would you forgive me? But there's this piece that what we need most and what Jesus is addressing in the hearts of the people is that we need a softness of heart. Um, the question I get asked oftentimes when I'm sitting with a couple in my office is, is there any hope? Do you think that we can do this? And I oftentimes say that we can do this if we have all four feet in the marriage. If there's one person who is all in, both feet in, and you have another person who has one foot in and one foot out, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really difficult. But what we need to do is we need to look and we have to be able to say, What's the posture of my heart? And I understand that there are some situations where you have done and you've tried absolutely everything that you could possibly do. And the grace of God goes before you. But I say you try absolutely everything that you can possibly do. In this crowd, I know some of your stories. And I know that there's a difficulty that this surfaces all kinds of things. Our posture towards one another needs to be one of grace. And we do that because God has softened his heart towards us. And so this morning, this is just an overview. This is just scraping the surface. Um, that's why we've decided that from time to time we want to be able to, at 11 o'clock, continue to dig deeper. We want to be able to talk about this more. And so at 11 o'clock, you can come back in here I uh, invited one of my friends, Cameron Willis, who we've been talking and having this conversation for a while. And we're going to just sit and we're going to unpack for a long time. But this morning we want to pray. Um, we respond. And as we do this, um, I, I want to be able to just say, some of you need prayer. You might need to go up by yourself because your spouse isn't here because there's trouble right now. Um, but we have prayer points on both sides. Maybe you need to come up together. Um, we also have communion, you take the elements and to remember what Jesus has done. But I want you to hear, friends, that what Jesus is doing is he's not siding with Hillel or Shammai, but he's saying, look, there are certain times and places where you could walk away from the marriage. He says it's permitted, but it's not mandatory. Jesus is always calling towards repentance and reconciliation. And I will tell you that this is the unexpected way. This is the way that Jesus is calling. And even in our own marriage, we've had times where we said, I don't know. <laughs> this is really, really hard. And God has restored and brought back life to our marriage. And he's worked in us and through us where we could have walked away a long time ago. Wherever you're at, that's my prayer for you. That you would have the honesty of that couple that I met with this morning a few hours ago. To be able to say, God... I need my heart to be softened towards you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, be with us. Would you strengthen the bonds, maybe bonds that have been broken, vows that have been broken, that you would give us hope in some of these places that we have lost it. Lord, remove the guilt and remove the shame. That you would speak to us today. 
and that this is not licensed to go out and to file that divorce, but Lord, that we would soften our hearts towards one another and that we would live out this redemption and reconciliation. Help us to turn our eyes to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith when we even have none. Lord, meet us here in these places this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen.